of uh, the history course, I, the covenant history course I took last spring. And there was a man named C.A. Bjork. And he came from Sweden, emigrated to, to the U.S. from Sweden. And he followed, or he came with a lot of Swedish people. As they came, they were leaving, uh, a lot of times, famine farms in those days. They would divide up farms among sons, and families would all live on the farms. Well, you can imagine, generation after generation, you get a smaller and smaller slice of farm to live on. And so the farms began to get so small that people began leaving, and they had a famine and unemployment. And so people were coming uh, to Canada and to the U.S., starting churches in the Midwest and in the prairies. See, the beginning, the thing is, is that this began as a hard time. It was difficult in Sweden, so people began to leave, began to move. But God used that time. God used the struggles that they were having in Sweden and began to work in that and redeeming that here in North America. As Swedish people began, they came here and they began going to churches and they soon realized that, that they had an opportunity to start something different or to, to be true to who they were in Sweden. See, in Sweden, they were part of the Swedish Lutheran Church, and many uh, felt the tension with that, um, with the old traditional ways, but also this, re- this revival that was happening. So they came to the U.S., and they began to live out, that re- out of that revival. And it was in 1885 that C.A. Bjork and other covenanters got together. They had a meeting, and they, they discerned the idea of starting a church. And it was not just any, it wasn't, they didn't mean it to be a new denomination. What they meant to be was, was this group of churches it's like a church of churches that would come together for the sake of mission, for the sake of spreading this gospel and then living this life out faithfully. See, the thing is, it started in difficulty and struggle. And God brought them, those first covenanters here to North America. And we now see the results of that or the fruits of that here, this church in Balfour, churches across Canada, churches across North America. Covenant churches being planted now in South America, in Asia, being replanted in Europe, in Africa. It's amazing how God redeems the struggles, the difficult things that we've gone through, the difficult things that we've experienced in life. God continues to use them. You see, and that's what happens in this story. God is using the persecution that's happened here in Jerusalem, and he's growing his church through it. Whether it's war or famine, whether it's death or persecution, God works redemptively. The Spirit continues to move. See, Philip is going to Samaria. For some of you, maybe uh, if you remember, we've been preaching through this this speech that that Stephen gave to the Sanhedrin a few weeks ago. Well, it was out of that speech that the church began to be persecuted. If you remember, Saul himself was going from house to house, rounding up Christians to arrest them and throw them in prison. Persecution began and people began to flee Jerusalem. Well, Peter, or sorry, Simon, (laughs) Philip, (laughs) three names, uh, Philip moves to to Samaria. He flees to Samaria. Now, if you think about Philip, maybe some of you remember, we've heard him before in Acts. He was one of the men who were selected to be one of the deacons, one of the people who cared, who cared for the widows. Now, what's interesting is, it's affirming to me that they chose Stephen, or sorry, uh, Philip. They chose him because of his faithfulness. You know, he was there feeding widows, but you know what? He's also this amazing evangelist, this faithful man. This is one of the, one of the guys who was... Who was lived with the apostles. So he wasn't just some guy that they chose to fill the ministry. He, had, he was blessed by God and he was a faithful man. But it's another interesting thing is that he goes to Samaria to proclaim the kingdom of God. Now we think, oh, that's great, but partly because we don't understand the differences between Judea and Samaria. Samaria was the remnants of the northern kingdom. 
And by that time, by the time that Jesus walked the earth, they had gotten quite a bit different than, than the rest of Israel. They only studied the, the first five books of the Bible. They were looking for a new Moses. They had all sorts of different beliefs. They didn't worship at the temple. So for the Jewish people, they were like almost worth, worse than heathens, worse than Gentiles. So much so that Jewish people, when there are people going from Judea to the northern part, say to Galilee, that most Jewish people would add a day to their journey to walk outside of Samaria. Rather than the direct route that went right straight through, they would walk around it so they wouldn't even step foot in that place. So you can see the differences. You can see the tension. And yet here's Philip, because of Christ, because of the gospel, going across these boundaries, going to, to the wrong people, as it were. Going to the wrong people with this great news of Jesus. Transcending boundaries, religious boundaries, social boundaries, cultural boundaries, everything for the sake of the gospel. And the thing is, people began following Philip. They were watching what he was doing, the signs and the wonder he was performing. They were listening to his word. People were being healed. Unclean spirits were being driven out. Those who were paralyzed were being able, they were healed. People who had, who had diseases and disabilities, they were being healed. And the place was filled with joy. The place was ecstatic. People, imagine this, people being healed. People receiving Christ. And the joy that comes out of that. Now this is the same joy that I have for our community here too. This is the same joy that we have, that we desire for people in our community to experience. We want them to know too this healing that comes through the gospel. We want people in our community Think about it, your friends and your neighbors, the people you live next to, people you curl with, people that you fish with, the people that you meet together and meet over tea. We want these people to know this joy too. We want these people to also receive this healing. Maybe it's physical healing. Maybe it's something. Maybe it's their back or, or, or some disease that they have. We, just, we want them to feel this healing, to receive healing from Christ. But maybe too, it's also this emotional healing, healing of their heart. Think about people you know and, and the things that have happened in their lives, the things that they've suffered, the struggles they've gone through, and how that's broken down their heart. We desire to have people healed. And think about spiritually, too, people who go through life resisting God, maybe even angry at God. We want them to receive this healing, that God's Spirit would move in their lives and they would know Jesus, this new life in Him and this joy, this idea of life eternal with Him. We desire this for our community, right? This is, not, this is what we want for ourselves, but also for the people just right outside our door, right? Imagine this joy in our community too. The joy that they experienced in Samaria. Imagine this here. Imagine this place filled with people who know this new joy in Christ. Think about the people you've been talking with about faith. You know, those people that you encourage, the people you pray for. Imagine them sitting next to you. Imagine how exciting, how joyful that would be. I think about this all the time. Not because I want a big church. That's not what I'm after. I'm after people. I desire to see our friends and our neighbors sitting in these seats because I know what it would mean for them in their life. See, God uses the difficulties that we face. He's using it here in Samaria as well. The, the persecution they were facing in Jerusalem, God uses that to grow his kingdom in Samaria. 
See, the thing is, it looks like things are going horribly wrong. But in God's economy, in gospel terms, things are going wonderfully right. People's lives are being changed. People are being transformed. You see, the thing is, when when people's lives begin to transform, when people receive the gospel and their lives change, it's compelling to people. It testifies to the gospel in a powerful way. See, I've been reading this book by, by Bill Hybels called Just Walk Across the Room. And he's talking about it, and I, and I agree with him, that in our time, most people aren't as convinced by a really sound argument. I mean, some people, it's helpful. Some people have real questions that, that, hang, up, that hang them up. And if we can answer those questions, it helps them. But, as I talk with a lot of people, it seems like for most people, it's not just that you have the right answers, that you can prove to them that, that Christianity is true. They want to see it in our lives. See, so many people would say, I mean, I've had conversations where you go through it step by step, and people say, and it's almost like this airtight case, how can you not see that this is true? And they say, well, that's true for you, but it's just not true for me. And that's it. But most people, I would say today, most people are more compelled by the change it makes in our lives, by the difference it's made in us. They want to see the difference Christ makes. Arguments are good. Logical explanations of Jesus, they're good, they're helpful. But when it comes down to it, most people want to know, so what's the difference? What's the difference in your life? So that's why we get an opportunity to talk with them. Oftentimes I talk about with people about the way that I used to be, the life that I lived before Christ, and how he has changed me, the man that he is continuing to make me. But also, too, if we're going to do this, we have to actually live the life. We have to live this transformed life. Because people talk about it. I mean, as I talk with people outside the church, you know, one of the common things that people don't like about church or one of the reasons why they don't come is because they say, you know, Christians look just like everybody else. I mean, what's the difference? See, the hard thing is, is when we look like everyone else, or at least when they think we do, the gospel doesn't shine through in us. So we actually have to live this life. Now, I'm grateful. I know you. I know you as people, and I know many of you are faithful in following Christ. I want to encourage you in that. I want to encourage all of you to live out this faith, to follow the gospel, and be courageous enough to live differently. We talked about it some today, even just like in the small thing of tithing. I think about our tax accountant, the look on her face each year when she looks at how much we give to the church. And she just, I mean, she can tell she's baffled by it. Why would you do this? So we have to actually look different. The thing is, I think about like Simon the Magician, for example, <coughs> and how compelling this faith was to him. See, he had made his life deceiving others. He used magic and sorcery to mislead people, and he'd been doing it for a long time. But he was good at to the point that people said that this is powers of God. The Samaritans thought that he was some sort of God. And he, he ate it up. He played it to the hilt, saying, telling people that he was a great one, like some sort of deity. And said that most people, young and old, were believing into him, following what he was teaching. So he had a lot to lose when Philip comes preaching this news about Jesus, this new life this faith and this, this relationship with God that comes not through paying a sorcerer, but through faith in Jesus. 
He had a lot to lose here. And yet it still says that he was one of the ones baptized. Philip came and he preached and, and people began following him and they were baptized. Lots of people, including Simon the sorcerer. See, the kingdom of God is growing here. In Samaria, the kingdom of God is at work and it's growing. But it's also filling out the words that Jesus spoke. If you remember from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that famous saying when Jesus said, I will send my spirit upon you. You will receive my spirit and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. These words of Christ are being filled out right here in front of us. The Samaritans, those backward people, those black sheep, are coming to Christ. See, I also see this too as something bigger than just this evangelistic thing. As amazing as that is, I also see the kingdom of God here pushing out the power of darkness. Pushing out magic and evil. The kingdom of God growing and displacing darkness. The people responded to this. The Samaritans, who had every reason to hate the the people of Israel and anything that even came out of Israel like Jesus, they respond. They see the truth and they respond. I can almost hear them saying, I want this life you're talking about, Philip. I want to know this Jesus who has died and rose again. I want to know him. I want to set down my sin like you've been talking about. The things that I regret. The things that I'm ashamed to even speak of. I want to set those down and receive forgiveness for them. I want to follow this Jesus you've mentioned. I'm tired of just going through life day by day. Just tired of of trying to get by and exist. I want this life that you're talking about. This fullness of life. This fullness of life that comes in knowing God's love for me. Knowing how deeply God loves me. The extent that he's gone to, that he would send his own son. That God himself would die to save me. I want to know this love. I want to be changed by this love. This amazing love of God. And I want to know this hope. That one day all things will be made right and all things will be made good. I want to know this joy that, that, that I see you having despite the fact of the struggles you're facing. I want this joy that lasts regardless of what my situation is. I want this hope in eternity that death is no longer the end, that, that death is just the beginning of life with Christ. I can almost hear the Samaritans saying, I want what you have, Philip. I want what you're talking about. See, the thing is, when the gospel breaks in, people's lives are transformed. People's lives, they change. That's why it's on the front of our bulletins each week. It says, loving God, loving others, and transforming lives. We desire to see people's lives transformed. Transformed into, 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 Christ, or into gospel-like people. Transformed into followers of Christ. Nothing is more compelling to our friends and our neighbors than a life that's been transformed by Jesus. We want our friends and our neighbors to know Christ, to know this faith and this hope we found. Nothing is more compelling than us living out that transformed life. Well, this thing is, people are changing. In Samaria, people are growing, the kingdom of God is growing, and news travels back to Jerusalem. 
It's amazing what's happening. It catches on like wildfire. People are being transformed and that's exciting. And the apostles, the church sends the apostles to come check it out. And they don't just send anybody. They send Peter and John, the big guns. They send them to go see what's happening. Now sometimes people have read this and they wonder, you know, were they upset by what happened? You know, were they going to go and clamp down and make sure it was, it was according to their ideas? I don't think so. I think they were going because they wanted to see what was happening. Because they heard the good news of people from Samaria, even Samaria, believing into this Jesus and being baptized. And they wanted to go see. They wanted to go be a part of it. And so they come and they pray that these people would receive the Holy Spirit. Now here's an interesting part. I want to take just a moment here, sort of a digression about this receiving the Holy Spirit part. Because we have brothers and sisters, Christian brothers and sisters, who talk about things like second blessing and about receiving the Holy Spirit after you've been baptized. And I think sometimes, well, I know sometimes they use this particular passage. And I think they use it wrong. Because as you read through Acts, there are situations where Jesus, or excuse me, where people receive the Holy Spirit and then they're baptized. There are situations where they're baptized and then receive the Spirit. There are places where they receive baptism and the Spirit at the same time. I mean, think about Paul, for example. He receives the Spirit first, and then he's baptized as a result of it. No second blessing, so to speak. And then you think about Cornelius. He receives the Holy Spirit, and then he's baptized in his whole house. There are situations in Scripture where people are baptized and then receive the Spirit, or when they receive the Spirit and then baptized. So it's troubling, or I think it's wrong use of these passages when people use it to to sort of make classifications of of Christians. When people try to say, well, you're just like a subpar Christian because you've been baptized, but you haven't been baptized in the Spirit. I don't think that's what the Gospel teaches. I think there's truth, and I think what they're trying to get at is the fact of us living out our faith, really living our faith. I think they, and I think that part's good, but when they start to use it to classify Christians, us, their brothers and sisters, that's not right. Classifying people based on whether the fact they speak in tongues or not, or if they lift their hands for worship, or if they prophesy. Those are gifts. Those are gifts that the Spirit gives. Those are good things. Those of you who speak in tongues, it's a gift. Those of you who prophesy or have that gift, bless you. Use it well to God's glory. But to use those things as yardsticks for faith, that's not what the gospel, that's not what Christ intends. Now, as covenanters, we rely, or we affirm a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit. We know that life depends on God's Spirit in us. We affirm that. We are committed to that. We, too, are spirit people. But we have to be careful that we don't use spirit or spiritual gifts to classify each other. And that when people from outside our church try to do that to us, that we are gracious with them, that we tell them the truth, <laughs> that we are faithful people, that there's, there's not necessarily a, a particular gift that makes you more Christian than another, but it's our, our faithfulness, it's the fruit that we bear. That is how we know how faithful we are in Christ. As I'm reading this, though, I'm back here to the story. As I'm seeing God's faithfulness, God's control in this. See, from, from a worldly standpoint, it seems like chaos. 
There's persecution in Jerusalem. There's churches or, or Christians popping up in Samaria. It seems chaotic. But I see this more as God is in control. God is orchestrating things. You know, maybe he, maybe he planned the persecution in Israel. Or sorry, in Jerusalem. Or maybe it just happened because people are broken and God still used it redemptively. I don't know. But the fact is God is at work in this. Using the persecution to grow his kingdom. Using Philip to go and talk to the wrong people, to the Sumerians, and they come to faith. God is at work in this and the kingdom is growing. See, this news is exciting. This news of of Samaritans coming to faith, it's exciting and it's encouraging. The news travels back to Jerusalem and the the apostles come to see it, to experience it, to, to join in and to pray for them. But here's the hard part. And here's the hard part for all of us is that sometimes people don't get it. This gospel, as plain as it is to us, as compelling as it is to us, as life-changing as it has been for us, we know people, many of you have friends and neighbors who just still don't get it. And it's not a, like, a, I don't mean to, to make it, they don't get to understand it, you know, like they're, they're not intelligent or something. That's not what I mean. But I mean, they don't get faith. Something isn't clicking for them. Maybe it's a hardened heart. They resist faith. They're adamant about relying on themselves and not not relying on anybody else ever again. Or maybe it's the fact that they're so comfortable. Life is so easy that following Jesus, the sacrifice is just too high. It's too challenging. Sometimes people don't get it. I think Simon exemplifies this. Simon, the magician. Now maybe some of you are confused because like, wasn't a minute ago, wasn't he one of the people baptized and believing? Well, it's true. He began to follow Philip and he saw the signs that Philip did. And he was amazed by them. And when the apostles came and laid hands on people and they received the Spirit, Simon said, I want that. How much does that cost? I want that power. Because that was his game. That was his, that was his thing. He was the magician, the one who had power over people. And he loved it. And so he tries to buy it. And Peter says, Simon, may your money die with you. May your money be destroyed with you. Because you have tried to buy the gifts of God. See, Simon, your heart is crooked. Your heart is not shooting straight with God. You need to repent of this. Simon, or Peter says, I see your motives here. That your heart is bitter and that you are chained to your sin. You need to pray to God that he forgives you of these things, of the crookedness of your heart. These are strong words from Peter. It takes guts to say something like that. But it was true. And I think too, like I think Luke says this on purpose, is that Peter saw him. He saw the motives that were below the surface. So he says to Simon, repent, ask God to forgive you of these things. Now it's hard because here what it says in the Greek, in the text, here's what Simon says. He says, you, you ask God to forgive me for these things. Now in our, in our NIV version, it doesn't quite, it's not quite that emphatic. It just says, he said, you pray for me that I receive these things. And I was really confused. Like, you know, what is this? Is, is he saying, you do it because I feel so humbled that I don't even feel like I'm worthy to do that? Or does he say, no, Peter, you, you pray for me. I'm going to go on living the way I want to. If you want this God to do his thing, then you take care of it. 
And the thing that has convinced me is that as I was reading in, in commentaries and about church history is that Simon the Magician, he was notorious. We don't hear about him again in scripture, but in other pastors, Justin Martyr, who was a pastor from Samaria in the first century, or Irenaeus, who was a pastor from South, uh, from South France, they both talk about Simon the Magician and that he was evil, that he remained a heretic. He remained an opposing force to Christianity, leading people away by false teaching. So as I think about that history, and I look at Simon, I think it was more the fact that he says, no, Peter, you. If you're so worried about this, you do it. In effect, saying, I don't need this from you. Now, I don't know, it's hard. I mean, I hope that one day we will see Simon in heaven. I pray that I'm wrong. But it seems like sometimes people don't get it. We experience that all the time, even in our own lives. People that we talk with here. People that we know. It's hard to watch. Friends and family. Friends that we love, that we spend time with. Family. Children. Brothers or sisters. Parents. It's hard. We want this life for them. We want them to know what we know. To experience this love of God that we that has changed our lives, we want this for them. Sometimes they don't change. That's hard. But at the same time, there is hope. At the same time, we don't know who is going to receive Christ and when. I mean, some of you have stories you've told me of people that you've prayed for for years. And then one day, one day they get it. One day the Spirit breaks through and they get it. Or one day they have such a crisis in their lives that no longer can they try to convince themselves they can make it on their own. One day something changes and then everything changes. And they're ready to receive this new life. They're ready to trust God. They're willing to trust Jesus and believe what he's done for them. See, we don't know who that is or when it will happen. So I encourage you. I encourage you because I know most of you have friends who, who, man, it's hard to keep hope for them. I want to encourage you to keep praying for them. Keep praying for them that the Spirit would break in, that he would soften their hearts, that the Spirit would, would change something in them. Keep praying that through the circumstances of their life, whether it's good or especially if it's really hard, that God would reveal himself then. That they would see who Jesus is, that they would catch just a glimpse enough to trust their lives to him. I want to encourage you to keep praying for them. It's true that not everybody gets it. Some people we talk and we pray for for years or decades. But we don't know who it will be and when they will get it. So I encourage you to keep praying. Keep talking with them about faith. Keep telling them how your life is different now. Keep explaining to them the way you used to be. Or if they've known you long enough to say, remember how I used to be? Remember the stuff we used to do together. And I can tell you how different God has made me. It's hard to argue with that. This is an amazing story this morning. It's an amazing story of, of Philip going to this wrong place, talking to the wrong people at a bad time, and God at work. 
It's an amazing story. I mean, despite persecution, Philip goes to this new land, to, this, to the people that nobody's supposed to talk to, and he tells them about Christ. And they begin to believe. At the wrong time, with the wrong people. And it's true, Simon, I don't think he got it. I think he was so stuck in his own way, so stuck on holding on to his own idea of what, what he wanted, I don't know that he got it. But many of them did. Many were baptized and received the Spirit. People's lives were changed on that day. We desire this. I pray that you desire this for our community too. You know, some of you, I know you're in difficult times right now. Things are hard, especially hard right now. I want to encourage you that God uses even the hardest things in our lives for the sake of his kingdom. Uses difficult things in our lives to be a blessing to others. Things that people can relate to. I think about some of the horrible things that have happened in my life and how it has softened me and made me more compassionate, but also enabled me to talk with people when they are going through hard things that I can share some of my struggles and we can connect with that. They can see that, that Christianity doesn't make you perfect. It just means we're faithful. It means we're trying to follow Christ and they can relate to that. It seems attainable to them. I want to encourage you that despite how difficult things are for you to keep, to keep praying for people, Keep talking with others about faith, about Christ and what he's done in your life. Even going to the wrong people. You know, there are people in our community who sometimes feel like the wrong people. And what I mean by that is we don't understand each other. By wrong, I mean we live very different lives, different ideologies, and it can be awkward for us to talk with them. But I want to encourage you to keep doing it. To keep going, even to people that you don't understand and you know they don't understand you to keep going and talking with them, encouraging them in Christ. This is an amazing story this morning. Amazing story of the way God works despite the difficulties we face. I want to encourage you to keep living out your faith, to continue to live as transformed people because that's compelling to others. I want you to keep praying for people too, for people in our community, people that you work with, people that you live next to, that you fish with or that you have hobbies with. Keep praying for them and keep looking for opportunities to encourage them in faith. I pray that you hear these things this morning. I pray that you hear God saying this to you. Amen.